just want to thank uh, y'all for being here. It's a um, joy to my heart uh, to see everyone and all the kids. I hope they don't overwhelm the teachers. Um, if you've been with us any length of time, you know that uh, we've been in a series. Uh, it's called A Fresh Look at the Old Book. Uh, the idea behind it is uh, even if you're not really a church person, you don't have a whole lot of church background, there's enough you know, stuff in the culture where you might hear some names here and there. Uh, we're talking about Joseph right now, the coat of many colors. You might remember him. Um, and, and if you don't know those stuff, well, here's a great opportunity to get to know uh, some of the, the background, some of what goes on in the Old Testament. If you are somebody who's uh, been in church for a long time, some of these stories can, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I got it. I know how this goes. And the idea is to, like, bring it and look at it a fresh way and see if, if God has something new or interesting uh, to teach us, to shake us up a little bit and to give us um, a, a different perspective on what God might be teaching. Um, today... Uh, Today, while we're, while we're reading the text, and the text will be kind of broken up because we're going to be going back a little bit, but I would like everyone here um, to ask a question that you've probably asked some, some time in your life. You may have walked in asking today, and that is, um, I'm doing everything right. Why is everything going wrong? Um, and this is, this is something that, uh, that you know, Maybe you started out in life and you were like, I know that if I just follow the rules and I work hard and I do this, that, and the other thing, that everything's going to go great. And then you tried that. And then you were like, well, there's obviously no God because that didn't work. Um, that's, that's a very, very common thing that happens to people. It's one of the biggest reasons, actually, that uh, young people abandon faith is because they're, they're taught early on um, in some context that, you know, God blesses people and everything goes well if, you're, if you just do X, Y, and Z, if you follow a formula, kind of. And if you're that kind of person, then you can be assured all will be well. And you can see, actually, when you read Scripture, um, and certainly not just in Christian faith, especially in uh, some other faiths, um, you can see very, very clearly in holy texts how that's possible. Uh, for Christians and, and for our Jewish friends, if you look at the Proverbs, the Proverbs actually kind of have a, a sense that maybe that's the case. And yet, common sense and experience teaches us that it's not at all the case. Even if you don't believe that, you may at some point in your life be kind of being like, well, what the heck is going on? Why is everything messed up? What's wrong? I feel like I'm trying to be faithful, and yet, and yet. I want to catch you up on the story. Uh, so we met Joseph two weeks ago. Joseph, um, he was... Uh, Kind of a punk kid, just a terrible youth. We met him, he was 17 years old. Um, I think I got a picture up there we can look at while you're zoning out. Uh, he was really like a, a, just a punk 17 year old. He, uh, he t- tattled on his, on his older brothers, said that they weren't that great. And then he started dreaming dreams and told all of his older brothers, I'm gonna rule over you, you're gonna be my servants. They did not take, uh, lightly to, they did not take kindly to that. Uh, his father made it worse by giving him, like, kind of a master's robes, which he would strut around in. And his brothers got to the point where they were like, this sucks, I'm tired of this. And so they, they decided to kill him, as you, as you normally do with, with your siblings. And uh, so they toss him in a well, and then they have a crisis of conscience. They're like, wait a minute, let's not murder him. Let's be kind and just sell him into slavery. A uh, much, you know, more reasonable response. Uh, they do. 
Then last week, we, uh, uh, Joseph, some time has passed, right? And Joseph um, gets sold into slavery. He gets sold uh, to a, uh, a high-ranking Egyptian guy named Potiphar. He, uh, he runs into Potiphar's house. Everything is awesome. He's really good at his job. And, uh, and then Potiphar's wife accuses him of rape. And Potiphar is very upset about this. And so he sends him into prison. Now, a lot of people, one thing, I, I love one of the great objections about Scripture. Like, it's so fantastic. It's bizarre. Like, nothing ever happens like the Bible says it does. Okay, <laughs> I don't know if you've been paying attention for, like, the last 10 days to politics, but have you noticed that um, there's a guy who's being uh, nominated for the Supreme Court, and a, a woman has accused him of attempted rape, and now uh, the whole country is in an uproar because we're trying to figure out who's telling the truth and, and who's, I mean, maybe this guy is like, uh, he looks like he's an upstanding dude, but he's actually like a predator, right? Or it might be that she's, um, doesn't want him to be a Supreme Court justice, so she's lying like Potiphar's wife did. Or it might be some weird mixture where, where everyone thinks, who knows? All I'm saying is that it's been 3,500 years since this happened to Joseph. And look how humanity has evolved, Oh, we're doing so good. We've really advanced. No, uh, in fact, I understand people like object about like, oh, ten plagues, that's insane. Well, okay, fine, I, I hear where you're coming from, but notice that at the very least, Scripture is really honest about the human condition. And maybe that might be an, indica- an indicator that it's honest about some other things too. So just food for thought. Let's pick up the story. Uh, the, let, let, let's, let's see what happened to Joseph. Um, so Joseph, he gets sold into slavery. Uh, he comes out, and this is what happens. Um, he's, he's been taken down to Egypt by the slavers. Uh, Potiphar picks him up. Um, and then it, we're told for the first time, for the first time in Joseph's story, that Yahweh, the Lord, is with him. Anytime in Scripture you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's, um, it's, uh, they're covering up for the Hebrew word for Yahweh, the personal name of God. So you can say Lord or you can say Yahweh. Yahweh was with Joseph. And this is a refrain that's going to get repeated over and over in Joseph's life. Yahweh is with him. And then we find out he became a successful man. And it's interesting. It's hard to know exactly the relationship between those two things. Because uh, on the one hand, yes, it's true that Yahweh is with him, and so Yahweh blesses things. But it's also true that he became a successful person because he practices the things that successful people practice. Uh, according to Jewish tradition, that's things like being shrewd, hardworking, uh, you know, sort of not miserly, but, but like really safe with money, like really focused on how to handle money. Um, that, th- those are very common traits that are found throughout Scripture. And if you develop those traits, then you tend to have success. But there's no guarantee. And so you need, um, beyond those traits, you also need God's blessing and provision. And this happens for Joseph. The Lord Yahweh is with him, and he's a savvy, shrewd, hardworking guy. Going on. When, uh, when Potiphar's wife is trying to get, her to, uh, get him to sleep with her, uh, he, he, he noticed, he, he's like, look, lady, look at what God has done. He's put, ev- or what Potiphar has done. Everything's under my supervision. I'm a responsible guy. I am, I'm not like some scrub off the street. I am a really decent human being, and, and, and that's why he trusts me. He trusts me. Joseph is a trustworthy guy. Going on. Not only is he a trustworthy guy, he's also... He's also a religious guy. How could I do this terrible thing in sin? Sin against who? Potiphar? If I sleep with you, Potiphar's wife, 
Who am I really sinning against? In Joseph's mind, it's against God. God is the one who's made all this possible. The last thing Joseph remembers, he was tossed in the well, about to die, sent into slavery, and then suddenly now he's got all these opportunities, all these possibilities. Only God could have made that happen. And why would Joseph depart from the God who has been so kind to him, so faithful to him, in spite of all of life's, you know, bleh? If you're following the story, Joseph used to be this guy. Yeah. When you're a teenager and you wear denim, a denim jacket, you know you're tough. I used to do that in the late 90s, wear a denim jacket, grew my hair out for college, uh, had an earring. You could tell that I was cool, that I was dangerous, that I knew everything. Uh, my parents made a huge mistake in raising me. Uh, when you have a, uh, a teenager who's arrogant like this, who needs to be um, put down, there's only one thing to do. He knows what I'm talking about. You send him to the Marines. We got a couple of Marine, uh, we have a couple of Marine uh, veterans. There's two types of Marine veterans. There are those who enlist, uh, and then they stay in until they're kicked out because they love it. And there are those who enlist, and they get out as soon as humanly possible because it's a hellhole. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a disciplined kind of crazy life. But if the military does its job, you take a denim-wearing, backwards cap, precocious, arrogant teenager. You yell at them and make them do a lot of push-ups. And in some cases, go to foreign countries and carry guns. And then at the end, at the end, they come out looking like this. The few, the proud. Thank you, Marines. Yes, and Army and Navy and Air Force, but mostly Marines. I'm just kidding, man. I, like, to me, it's all the same, right? Like, I can't even imagine the sort of discipline. But anyway, uh, yeah. Um, I, I think one of, the, one of the things that's going on sort of in the background here is that Joseph, he, he's had a Marine-type experience, right? He was this punk kid. And, and the kid that we knew in chapter 37 is not the guy we know now. He's not trustworthy. He's not like, I mean, serving everyone, responsible, shrewd. That kid was like, hey, I tell tales on my brothers. You know, this kid's, this guy is trustworthy. He's man. That kid was like out for himself. This, this one is like, I'm not sinning against God. He's the only reason I got things going. Something has dramatically changed and transformed in Joseph's life through the experience of God being with him in slavery slash the Marine Corps. That's the first thing in your note sheets. At some point after Joseph was sold into slavery, God began transforming and blessing him. He's a new guy. And, and we know how the sport, story is supposed to go when God transforms you and begins blessing you. That's when life gets good. That's when life turns around. That's the way the story is supposed to go. You come in here, you come to church, and your life's a wreck. And then you pray to Jesus, Jesus, I believe in you. And Jesus accepts you, and you, you have your sins forgiven, and you're given eternal life. And you start turning around, and everything changes, and now life is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Or, well, what happens to Joseph? What's next? Go back to the text. One day... He arrives at the house to do his work. Notice, super responsible, shows up on time. There she is. She's like, I want you to sleep with me. She grabs his jacket. He takes off. 
because he's not going to sin against God. But now she's got the evidence she needs to make a credible accusation. The text goes on. Potiphar comes home. She gives him the same story. Hey, that Hebrew slave you gave us, he's, she's making a fool of everyone. He's trying, that, that, I mean, the, the, the anti-Semitism is very strong here. That Jew, that Jew, he did this. And now he's trying, would you let, would you let a Jew do that to your wife, Potiphar? And Potiphar's like, oh my gosh, no, no. Joseph's master took him and threw him in jail, the place where the king's prisoners were held. Do you know uh, the sort of the ancient world? Like, well, okay, so let's say that you're um, going through life and you get accused of rape, okay? Um, if that happens to you, you, we know what happens in the 21st century. In the 21st century, if you're accused of rape, um, the, the accuser will tell the police, the police will come, they'll arrest you, they'll begin to investigate, okay? Uh, once they've investigated enough, they'll submit what evidence they have to a district attorney. The district attorney will review the evidence and decide whether or not to put you on trial. If you're put on trial, you're then put um, before a jury of your peers, and the jury of your peers hears the evidence for and against, and then they come to a deliberation. They decide whether or not they believe that you're guilty. If they say, yes, you are guilty, then the judge reviews who you are as a person, considers the tra- charges that have been made, looks at the law, and then sentences you t- to time in prison. In the ancient world, that's not how things worked. In fact, you, you might be surprised. Do, does anyone know what, um, what the, the Jewish laws in the Old Testament are for jail or for prison? Does anyone know anything about uh, jail or prison in the Old Testament? That's right. It's not there. It doesn't exist. In fact, in the ancient world, um, only one culture in the ancient Near East actually had jails or prisons. That was Egypt. Um, there, there were no, it, there was no incarceration in the ancient world. In the ancient world, it was either if you got caught and, and they decided that you did something, they either killed you or they exiled you. That was it. There was no middle ground. Occasionally, if, you know, if it wasn't too serious, maybe you could pay back, you know, for what, what, what it, for make some restitution. But other than that, punishment, as far as punishment goes, it's either you're dead or you're gone. One of the interesting things, um, we actually, I have a picture of the, um, the Hayes papyrus. We, know, we only know this about Egypt. In fact, just a little tidbit for all the people who don't believe uh, that scripture was, is real. They used to say, well, we all know that um, in the ancient world there's no prisons. And so this is clearly a made-up story. In the 19th century, a, uh, an archaeologist and biblical scholar uh, by the last name of Hayes discovered this papyrus in Egypt. And it uh, dates from the Middle Kingdom, right around the time that uh, Joseph, Joseph's story takes place. And it um, actually lists out uh, Egyptian prison practices and jailing practices. Um, <laughs> and, and so overturning uh, centuries of German enlightened scholarship, indicating that we can't trust anything in the Bible. Which is cool. But what's even cooler is that we know why the Egyptians did this and how it operated. You see, what they found was that it was crueler to keep someone in prison for life than to simply end their life. Because in the ancient world, just like third world prisons today, being in prison was an awful, awful experience. It was dirty. It was horrible. Violence happened. It was the worst kind of life you could possibly live. 
And so what the Egyptians did is they had a, a, another type of punishment. If, if you really wanted to get somebody and really stick it to them forever, you would throw them in one of their prisons, and they would rot until they died. There were only two types of people who ever got out of prison. Those who were debtors, um, if their families scra- uh, scraped together enough money, they could buy them out of prison. And then those uh, who the pharaoh or the king um, summoned, interviewed, and then set free. Everybody else in Egypt who got tossed into a prison stayed there until they died. What this means is that Joseph has just been handed a life sentence. That's the next thing in your note sheets. Joseph's not sitting around waiting for his trial. He's not hoping for uh, some kind of liberation. He has just been condemned to die in a dark, ugly pit. And all of this after he's become a good man. A decent man. An honorable man. He's probably at some point while he's in prison, rotting, saying, God, I've been doing everything right. I admit it, I was a real jerk back in the day, but you found me, and I've been trying to follow you. I've been trying to do the right stuff. Why am I here? Let's look at the, um, this, is, this is great. This is the very end of the chapter. It's, my, uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful text. It says, But Yahweh was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him grace in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer, interesting, chief jailer in Hebrew, it's, uh, it literally translates as a slaughtering chief, chief slaughterer. It's because uh, Hebrew language doesn't have words for jailers because they didn't have prisons. And so they, they use the word, um, like, for a butcher. So uh, Yahweh was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him grace in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because Yahweh was with him. And whatever he did, Yahweh made it prosper. There's that refrain again. Yahweh's with Joseph. Joseph's like, why is this happening to me? Why did you abandon me? And the truth is, is that he hasn't been abandoned at all. The next section showed him steadfast love. It's an incredible uh, phrase in Hebrew. Showed him is, is it's, it's hard to translate into English. But the, the verb there is literally like um, stretch out. It, and when it's predicated of God in the Old Testament, it's usually talking about creation in the Psalms. It's where it'll say things like God stretched out the heavens, over the earth. And there's this notion that like, you know, we're on the ground and we look up and the sky is like this, this covering. And God's power, his, his sovereignty, his might is such that he, he takes um, his roll of heavens and he just stretches it out and covers up. He tents us almost. In fact, uh, sometimes the word is used for tenting, like uh, so-and-so tented uh, this or that. It, it, this, this covering, this, 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 this safe space, this space of, of, of shelter, He's sheltering Joseph with what? Hesed. Hesed, my favorite Hebrew word. The, the word that gets translated as committed, loyal, faithful, kind, generous, loving. 
It's the word that says God is not a quitter. God sticks with you. He elects you. He chooses you. It's the word that says not only does he choose you, but he loves you relentlessly. He's for you. He's kind to you. He's merciful, even when you don't deserve it. When the New Testament authors are trying to describe this concept to a world that did not understand it, they use the term agape. Agape love, you may have heard in the past. It's their way of trying to make us understand a love that is predicated of no other deity in all of history. There are many gods that have been mentioned. There are many gods that are out there. Not one of them is predicated. Not one of them is identified by this kind of faithful, righteous, loving, electing, never giving up, uh, uh, committed love and loyalty. Only Yahweh. And what the, the text says is that Yahweh took his hesed, took his committed faithful love, and he just, he just covered, he just smothered Joseph in it. Why? Notice that this next, this next, uh, the next part of the text is so subtle, and yet it's so powerful. He, Yahweh, gave who? Joseph, grace in the eyes of the jailer. Yahweh gave grace to Joseph in the eyes of the jailer. If we look back at the very beginning of the text, uh, the next, next slide, uh, notice that we, we have the, 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 the similar thing. Yahweh's with Joseph. Yahweh's with Joseph. But then look at this. This is the next uh, slide. Joseph found grace in Potiphar's eyes. You see, Yahweh blessed Joseph, and so as a result, Joseph was able to like show off to Potiphar how, how awesome he was. He was shrewd in business. He was disciplined. He took care of things. He was trustworthy. He was honorable. And as a result, Potiphar saw that Joseph was a good guy and said, I like you. Guess what you can't do when you're rotting for life in prison? Impress anybody. Guess what you can't do when you're sitting there in a dark pit surrounded by your own excrement? Show people how reliable and trustworthy you are. You see, this time, Joseph's not able to find grace in the eyes of the chief jailer. In this, this time, the only one who can make the, the jailer's eyes fall on Joseph and give him some kind of life is God. It's got to be God who does it. Joseph's out of options. He's hit rock bottom. He's gone all the way to the bottom, and there's no way out. There is no ex escaping from this pit unless God himself comes in and intervenes. I tried to make it cute with a rhyme so that you would remember it. And I don't even remember the rhyme. So it's probably not that good. If you're rescued when there's no way out, God's work is not in doubt. Paging Dr. Seuss. Needs some help here. You're wondering, and this isn't for everybody, it's not every situation, but at least in Joseph's situation, and possibly in yours too, you're sitting around being like, I'm a decent human being. I'm trying to do right stuff. I really am. Why is everything falling apart? Well, maybe, maybe what's going on is that God is letting you go right to the bottom. God is letting you realize that all of your shrewdness, all of your uh, hard work, all of your abilities, all of your charm, all of your genteel manners, all of the things that you have developed that have given you success in this life, maybe God is saying, those aren't enough, and I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to let you see that you can't dig your way out of this hole. You're only going to get deeper. And then when I do rescue you, 
You will know who did it without doubt. There's a, um, a singer song right I, I like, and uh, he, uh, he has this album. He's Catholic, and he has this album um, where it, it kind of centers. It's sort of a concept album, and it kind of follows the life of this. Um, he calls her a hood rat. It's a girl who um, makes some really terrible choices as a teenager, uh, becomes um, an addict and a criminal, and then at a certain point. Uh, in her life, she sort of hits bottom. And, uh, and in th- this point, she, she's actually kind of picked up off the street. She can't even get herself off the street, but she's picked up and she's rescued and she's taken um, to a place where she can recover. And then the, the, the album is called Celebration Sunday, and the, the, the penultimate track, the track before the end, is, um, is the track where she, it's Easter Sunday, and she leaves the... Um, the recovery home, and she walks into Mass. And there the priest is, is telling the good news of the resurrection of the Son of God. And she stops him and she says, Father, in the middle of the, the place, everyone stops and looks at her. She says, Father, I'm going to tell you how a resurrection really feels. You notice that, that, that Joseph, he's... <laughs> Like, Joseph in some ways is sort of a pawn. We're all in some ways sort of a pawn, and God's using us to do his things. But sometimes what God needs to do is take us down to the deepest, darkest, scariest depths so that when we go there, we're like, we're dead. And he's like, well, how do you think resurrections work? Do you think there can be a resurrection without a death first? Do you think there can be new eternal life? Do you think there can be the coming of the Spirit without the crucifixion of the Son? In order to have resurrection, i got to take you down to the darkest places. And then when you come out, when you come out, you're going to know it was me that brought you through. Nobody comes back from the dead and says, I did that on my own. Nobody comes out of prison in Egypt and says, ha ha, I'm awesome. Because that's what resurrection is really like. It's when God has exhausted, when you've exhausted all your other options and God says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to save you. And when I'm done, you will know that I am your God. So maybe um, you're here today and you really are a person and you're like, I've really been trying to do it right. And you're sweating bullets. I have the comic sweating bullets. Yeah, the Jack Kirby days, like the 1940s. The stories are terrible, but the art is right on. You're sitting there, you're sweating it out, and you're like, God, I don't know what's going on. I've been doing right. I really have. I'm decent. I'm trying to do the right stuff, and still I'm failing. What's going on? Maybe, and I am not a prophet, so I can't say it for sure, but maybe the answer is God is letting you go to a place where you won't be able to deny it when he saves you. Maybe he's letting you go to a place where you're going to be out of options and you really have no choice but to depend on him. And then when he rescues you, you'll be like, what? You're for real. It didn't matter how hard I worked. It was only you that could have gotten me here. And then you will be able to trust in a God who is truly sovereign, who truly loves, who really is in control. Caveat, that's not always the case. It's not always the case that you uh, go down to rock bottom 
And then God miraculously saves you. There were a lot of people who were praying for um, miraculous healing for Debbie Owens for a long time. And that did not happen. It's not always the case that uh, when you hit bottom, um, your circumstances in life are fixed. This is one of the reasons that we confess that the true and ultimate salvation of Jesus Christ is not, you know, fixing your finances. It's redeeming your soul. It's giving you eternal life. So that even when the vagaries and the slings and arrows of our lives hit us, we can still trust that there is a God who saves truly. You might be a person um, who comes today and you might uh, be one of these people who things aren't going right and so you naturally assume that it's your fault. This is uh, very common with people. I got another slide. I think that, is that the kid that went to the dentist? What is it? There's a YouTube video about the kid who goes to the dentist and he's like super high and he's like, I think that's this. They took out a tooth or something. Anyway, um, you're the person who's like, why is this happening to me? And immediately what you do, as all normal human beings do, is you begin examining yourself. And you're like, what secret sin do I have that is the reason that I'm suffering? And you're like, you're like, I know it's my fault. There's no way this isn't my fault. God wouldn't let this happen to me unless I'd done something really nasty. I mean, did you see the story? Like, Joseph is like, Seriously, he has everything. And on top of everything, the good-looking wife of this master is throwing herself at him. And this dude's like, nope. He's a solid guy. Is he perfect? Probably not. He probably, you know, maybe he's mean to somebody sometime. But in general, he's a decent, good human being. He really is trying to follow God's ways. He really is living in subjection to God. He's like, God, I'm not perfect. I don't do it all right. But on the, on the big stuff, I really am submitted to your way of doing things. If that's you, if you are basically submitted to how God does things, it isn't your fault. Stop blaming yourself. Don't think, don't sit around being like, like gosh, I, uh, I really, I raised my voice to my kids. That's why I lost my job. Like, no. That's not how life works. In fact, I mean, Jesus goes out of his way in the Gospel of John. He's, he meets this, uh, this, the, this guy, who I think he's paralyzed, or he can't walk or something, or he's blind. I can't remember what it is. And uh, the, the Pharisees are like, who sinned such that this man suffers like this? And Jesus is like, dude, nobody. Nobody did anything. We live in a corrupt, wicked world. Sometimes bad stuff just happens. But guess what? That's not the end of the story. You see, the end of the story is where I fix things, and I resurrect things, and I change things, and I transform things. If you want to know why this guy is suffering, it's so that I could come along and save him. Stop sitting around thinking, I'm the worst at everything because I, you know, I didn't put the toilet seat down after I peed. Okay? That is not, that's not why things are going wrong in your life. That said... If you're, like, super lazy and you don't go show up to work and you get laid off, you can't be like, that's my, my, my boss's fault. No, no. If you can easily trace, like, uh, cause and effect to why things are going on in your life, yeah, it's your fault. But if it's, like, this magical, weird, like, like oh, I, was, I stepped on a crack in the wrong way and so clearly, no, that's nonsense. That's crazy town. Get out of there. Get out of that habit. 
Last but not least, I have a friend. Uh, we were in a Bible study for many years in seminary. And due to uh, the church that she grew up in and also probably some prolonged sexual abuse, uh, she was convinced that uh, she was a worm and that God uh, was, uh, it, was, it was a sick kind of justice for God to torture her. Uh, she deserved it because she was a worm. Um, no, matter, no matter what she did or didn't do, because her heart was inherently black and sinful and evil, every bad thing that happened to her was in a way good because that was what she deserved. Not only is that um, a very twisted and deranged kind of theology, uh, that if someone's telling it to you, you need to walk away because they're just wrong, um, but it leads to a life um, where you revel in misery and victimhood, where you're almost happy that things are hard and horrible. Because if, if somehow things were right, then there's no justice If there's anybody here who believes that you are a worm, look at Joseph's story. Let's pull back for a second. What is God up to? Why does all this stuff happen to Joseph? Is it so that, you know, we can have an entertaining story in Genesis? No. Ultimately, what's going to happen is God is going to take Joseph, and he's going to put him in a place, and he's going to use Joseph to save the world. In the region, he's going to feed everybody in the ancient Near East because he's a wise, you know, guy. We'll talk about it later. But basically, he's going to rescue everybody in the ancient Near East from starvation. God is using Joseph to stop a famine from killing everybody. He's using Joseph to save the people. Not only that, but then some of the people that are saved are Joseph's family. And through them, God is expecting to send a savior who will, again, save the world. God is doing this stuff and allowing this stuff to happen to Joseph so that he can save us, save us all. If that's what God is interested in, saving us, then you can bet you are not a worm. You are not worthless. I don't care what happened to you. God has given everything to save you. He has allowed tremendous suffering in the life of Joseph so that you today could have healing and wholeness, redemption from sin and death, and a bright future in heaven. You do not deserve it. The world is a broken and wicked place. And sometimes bad things happen. But God is a good and gracious God. And he is in the business of making it all right. If you're rescued when there's no way out, then God's work is not in doubt. Let's pray. Gracious God, I just pray that any person who is here today who comes with a question, why is this going wrong? Why isn't this right? Father, I pray that your spirit um, confirms or speaks or shows that you're involved, that you are at work, that you are good, that you're in the business of saving. You're in the business of loving with a relentless, committed, faithful, kind Merciful love. God, I pray that you will chase away with your truth any consideration that, that we are somehow these, 
these ugly, useless, pointless beings, and instead, God, that we are your craftsmanship, your handiwork, that you have created us to love us, to save us, to transform us and bless us, and give us life, eternal life in your kingdom, that all of our suffering can be transformed, that it, can't, it isn't just a waste, God, but that you can use it to save others. Give meaning, purpose, and focus to, to all of the places in our lives where things seem not right. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he shows us what a resurrection is really like. May we participate in that together. In his name we pray, amen.